0: you this morning about stories. Stories are, uh, are powerful. Stories can be inspiring, they can be uh, happy stories, they can be sad stories, they can um, <clears throat> challenge us, they can change our lives. Uh, whether it be um, stories of, of people who've done incredible things or stories of, of people who uh, have gone through uh, really tough times. Uh, stories have, for generations, inspired uh, every culture around the world. Even in in our lives, we think back to our childhood and we think of bedtime stories. Uh, We think of uh, our parents, you know, kneeling by the bed and maybe you do this with your kids and uh, they say, one more story, mom, one more story, dad. And it just strikes up the imagination of the child. My, uh, my kids aren't, aren't so much into the bedtime stories, which is thankful because Karen and I are not creative. Uh, we can't keep coming up with those stories. So we just, they love to read though. And so we read books to them and, and they love to sit in their bed at night and just read through a stack of books. And, and they kind of come up with their own story. And, and Morgan especially, my little uh, four, almost five-year-old girl over here, is grinning ear to ear all of a sudden because I said her name. Uh, she just, she loves, she can't read yet, but she'll, she'll sit with the books and she'll make up her own story, you know, based on the pictures. And uh, she just tells these stories. And I love to, to eavesdrop on her and, and come hear the stories because I know the books and, and to hear her version of what she came up with. Uh, stories. Um, modern storytellers include our, our authors. Uh, I recently read uh, David McCullough's Pulitzer Prize-winning biography of, of Harry Truman. An incredible story of, of one man uh, who faced in, in, in incredible leadership challenges as President of the United States. I mean, uh, just, I, I, history wasn't my thing in school, but as I'm reading this biography of Truman, all these things started coming back to me. And do you realize in, in, in his first 90 days in office, um, now, he came into the office after FDR died in office. In the first 90 days in office, um, they discovered the concentration camps in World War II. Uh, he met with Stalin and Churchill in uh, the Big Three in Potsdam uh, to talk about post-war uh, world. Uh, he negotiated the surrender of Japan and made the decision to drop the, the nuclear bombs on, on Japan. First 90 days in office. And from there, he went on to do incredible things. And this is from a guy who, who had no um, college education. Who failed as a businessman? You know, the only thing he was successful in in, in, early in life was was as a soldier. Uh, Just incredible stories, stories that that inspired and and spoken into my leadership uh, even today. Uh, To went with some of our male student ministry volunteers uh, Tuesday night, we went out for wings and watched Avatar. And, uh, you know, great story. Um, If you haven't seen it yet, you know, go see it. Incredible uh, multimedia there. Um, I I got one little thing with the movie I don't like, but, you know, I can tell you about that later. Um, Christmas morning, uh, we read the story of the birth of Christ. Uh, we sat down and, and, and read out of Luke 2. And actually, Ethan, uh, my 8-year-old, uh, read the story for us. And the whole while, Morgan's going over there going, I'm get, get it over with, you know? <clears throat> but the story of Christ, I mean, that's the story of, of the Christmas season. And, and, and then at family Christmas, later in the day, we're in Chicago, and, and, uh, and, and all of aunts and uncles are telling stories, none of which I can repeat. Um, <laughs> at all, much less from a stage in church. Um, let me just put it this way. I had to pull Ethan aside and say, Ethan, you're hearing words and things that you should never have to hear, and I apologize for that. And we talked through that, and it's, Karen's embarrassed. She's like, you're talking about my family. Like, it's all right, it's your aunts and uncles. I mean, we, we know. Uh, we all have those people. But stories are powerful. Whether it be, whether it be a movie, a book, a personal story, a real-life story, a fictional story, stories are powerful. Stories can change lives. Uh, Joan Didion, uh, she's an American author, she wrote this. She said, we tell ourselves stories in order to live. Uh, See, I think we see ourselves in stories. Uh, We see the best of us, and we see the worst of us. Uh, Stories remind us of where we've been, and they remind us of of where we're going and and the, the hopes and dreams we have for the future. Uh, and, and not just uh, the stories of life every day, but I want to talk to you this morning about what I'm going to call God stories. And, and inside your, your bulletin, you see a, a, a card that looks like this. One of the things that we talk about at Great Oaks is that everybody has a next step towards God. Uh, whether you've been wa- walking with God for 80 years or 80 seconds, or you don't even, maybe you don't even believe in God yet, uh, but you have a next step towards God. And uh, what we want to do in the coming year is we want to learn and hear your stories we want to share your stories. I mean, you hear the stories from Bill and I as we get up here and teach and, and about our families and what God is doing in our lives. But we want to hear from you. What is God doing in your life? So periodically, you're going to see these cards uh, in the bulletin. They're going to be at the Welcome Center. And if God does something in your life, we want to hear about it. And there's a little checkbox down there that says, would you be willing to let us share your story? Um, this morning, we're going to share three stories with you, three God stories. And here's how I've defined God's stories. Stories about God's presence, and involvement in your life. I think it's one of the slides here. Stories about God's presence. Next one. Stories about God's presence and involvement in your life. You see, here's my premise today, is that God is living and active and involved in our lives, and we need to be tuned into that. We need to have our eyes open, our, our minds open, our hearts open, to what God, through his Holy Spirit, is doing in our lives today. And we need to be willing to share that story with other people. In fact, First Peter uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 15 says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And this morning, what I want to do, uh, before we hear these, these stories of these three people, these three couples, um, I, I, want, I want to talk to you about two kind of general types of God stories. Uh, there's the first story is the, the story of being restored by God. Um, God is in the process of, of restoring us back to the relationship we had in the garden. Uh, all of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, is the story of God restoring, reclaiming that relationship he had with Adam and Eve in the garden. That intimate relationship, communion with God, daily walking with him. And so all of Scripture is that process of being restored by God. And there's three parts to this story. Who I was, how I met Christ, and who I am now. And for those of you that have surrendered your life to Christ, you have this story. You have this restoration story. You can look at your life and say, this is who I was before I met Christ, this is how I met Christ, and this is who I am now. I want to share with you one man's story. It comes from Acts chapter 21. This is the story of Paul. Uh, Paul is in Jerusalem. And he's been arrested, and he's standing before a crowd that, that's calling for his death. And he, he pick up here in verse 40. He says, Having received the commander's permission, Paul stood on the steps and motioned to the crowd. Uh, when they were all silent, he said to them in Aramaic, Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Now listen to this story. Listen to, to where he was, how he met Christ, and who he is now. And then Paul said, I'm a Jew. Born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city, under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers, and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify, he had people that he could point to and say, yeah, this, these guys can tell you who I was before. He says, I even obtained letters from them to their brothers in Damascus, and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven shone around me, flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Uh, my companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you've been assigned to do. And my companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? And get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on His name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking. Quick, He said to me, I "Leave Jerusalem immediately, because they will not accept your testimony, your story about Me." The Lord, I replied, "These men know that I went from one synagogue to another to imprison and beat those who believe in You, and when the blood of Your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing me." Then the Lord said to me, "Go." I will send you far away to the Gentiles. And what I love about, about Paul is anytime he was asked about who Jesus Christ was, he didn't go into some big theological um, argument. He didn't have this Romans road, these five steps you know uh, uh, memorized and that he walked them through. All he did was, you know, this is who I was, and this is how I met Christ, and this is who I am now. And like I said, for all of us who have entered into a relationship with Christ, you have this story. You have this story of being restored by God. Some of you come from, uh, you know, where you came from, wow. <laughs> you, you can't even imagine uh, what some of you, I can't even imagine what some of you have gone through. Uh, and you met Christ, and it was this, this incredible change and transformation in your life. You were restored back to God. Some of you grew up in the church, and, you know, the worst thing you ever did was, was you had a beer at once, and you, you cussed in college, and, and, you know, you got mad at your mom, you know, and, oh, no, you know, heaven forbid. Um, but you met christ at some point you entered in this personal relationship and you, that relationship was restored back to god So you have this god story and you need to be willing to share that when somebody asks you uh, Why you believe in jesus christ? Uh, you don't always have to go into this big theological argument Sometimes all you have to do is share your story And be willing to do that The second type of story is a story i'm going to call uh, being transformed by god There's three parts of this story as well. Uh, it's your current situation it's God's truth. What does God's truth have to say about my situation and my response? Again, we want to look at the life of Paul. Um, Paul is in prison. He must have liked it there. Um, but he's in prison in Philippi under house arrest. And we read here in uh, chapter 1. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, my, my current situation. It says, As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. Uh, Paul, he's already in that restored relationship with God. He finds himself in this situation where he's in prison under house arrest. And and he he could just look inwardly and focus on himself. But instead he says, you know what, God, Jesus Christ is alive. Uh, Jesus Christ is Lord. and, and, And I need to share that with other people. That was the mission that he was given. And so he said, you know what, despite my chains, God said to speak the truth. God said to preach the gospel. And so, you know, I've got this guy. He's trapped audience. He's chained to me all day long. He's going to hear about Christ. And as a result, the prison guard uh, discovered that he was in chains for Christ. And, they, and everyone in that household, everyone in that, that prison guard learned about Christ. And that was his story of being transformed by God. He could have looked at his chains. He could have looked at his situation and said, wow, it's done. It's over with. But instead, he looked at God's truth. And he said, you know what? I have a responsibility to respond accordingly. So we have two types of God stories. We have stories of being restored by God, and we have stories of being transformed by God. This morning, as I said, I want to share with you three stories. They're going to come in three different fashions. Uh, One is an anonymous letter. Uh, One is a video that we're going to share here with you in just a moment. And another is a couple that's going to come up on stage, and I'm going to interview them. But let me start with, uh, with this anonymous letter. I'm a recovering alcoholic, and this is my story. I didn't have a normal childhood. My father was mentally and physically abusive. My mother ignored this, but was also herself mentally abusive. I was hit on the hands with a hammer, jabbed in the side with a screwdriver, and once smacked so hard across the face that I fell down the stairs. I was told that I was no good and I should never have been born. These things really mess up a young child. In my adolescent years, the abuse continued. At this time, though, I started really struggling in school. Uh, My parents set unrealistic expectations and extreme high standards that made it impossible to meet. In high school, I was depressed and became rebellious. I was cheating and stealing, causing harm to myself and others. I started drinking to numb these feelings and to escape my life. At the same time, though, I was highly involved in the church we attended. I even went to miracle camp where I became a Christian. Although I became a Christian, it was just a statement, really, because I really never talked to God or followed his word. I felt that I was in control of my life, and I knew what was best. After high school, I wanted to get away from my family, so I joined the Job Corps and moved to the Chicago area for trade school in the culinary arts. I was doing something that I enjoyed and did well in school, but I'd lost myself and was so far removed from my relationship with God. I continued drinking to keep the demons of my past at bay. This seemed to work, and I moved out to California to continue my culinary education. While there, I got even more lost from God. My drinking got so bad that I ended up in the hospital for two days. This didn't detour me from drinking, though. After I was done with my schooling, I moved back to the Peoria area and got a good job working in a local hotel restaurant. This ended up being short-term, though. The restaurant closed after a year and a half. I struggled to find another job. I worked through temp agencies trying to find something, but the jobs only lasted a week or two. I became depressed again during this time, and my drinking became more and more as well. still lost from God, getting further and further away from Him. I thought my luck was turning because I'd finally found a good job at a local restaurant, and I enjoyed my work. But then after eight years, the owner sold the business and told us we were all let go. That night, I went on a real drinking binge. My parents had to come and get me from the bar because I was passed out. They took me to their house, put me in a bed in their basement, and left me there. I was there for a week in a coma-like state. When I woke up, the first thing I said was, I need help. Find me help. I found a sponsor and started attending the AA program, trying to work the 12-step program on my own without God's help. I wasn't drinking anymore, but it wasn't really working the program either. I was just existing. Not until I was four years sober and I met an AA elder who told me that I had my glasses on backwards did I really start working the program. I adjusted my glasses and I had a new outlook on the program in my life. I started back on the road to God, asking him for help. I realized that I could not do it on my own, that I needed his help. Over the next six years, I really worked a program and made God a part of my life. He kept me strong, helped me to fight the temptations to drink. With his help, I was able to find another job that I enjoyed. He really worked in me and through me during this time. I became an AA leader and was teaching a class. This put me out of my comfort zone, but knew I could do it with God at my side. When I had to leave my job for another, it was like I was testing God to see if he'd still be with me. He showed me that I should never doubt him. He's always there for me, and I just need to be open and listen to him. I know this now. After eight years of being sober, I thought that I was ready to start dating again. I talked to an AA elder, and he thought that I was ready too. So I decided to pray to God and ask him to bring someone special into my life. It didn't happen right away, and I was starting to doubt that I would ever meet someone. Then in the spring of 2008, I met a a wonderful Christian woman. Uh, We've been together ever since. This lovely woman has helped me to continue to build my relationship with God. Uh, She builds my self-confidence, reminds me that I'm a good person, and that I deserve love. She's helped me to realize that I can do things that I didn't think I could do. I like joining men's frat here at Great Oaks where I've pushed my comfort zone and talking more with other men about God and about our walk with him. She shows me support and encouragement when I'm down and listens to everything that I have to say. She loves me for who I am. She loves me for me and who I am. This spring I asked her to marry me and she said yes. I'm so happy and looking forward to marrying her in the fall of 2010 and spending the rest of my life with her. My motto is acceptance has been the answer to my life problems. It's like AA has given me a new pair of glasses. I'm able to see things that others couldn't necessarily see things like beauty, charm, gaiety, a gift of being easy to talk to, a sense of humor, and many other fine qualities. It's like I had a Midas touch over the years. I thought about good qualities. All these qualities became more and more apparent to me. But when I drank, the alcohol seemed to affect my vision. I focused my mind on defects, and they grew and multiplied, and I was going nowhere fast. And then in one AA one day, I was told that I had my glasses on backwards. The courage to change in the serenity prayer meant not that I should change my life, but rather that I should change myself and learn to accept it. AA has given me a new pair of glasses. I can again focus on my good qualities and see myself grow day by day. I can now focus my mind on what's good about it rather than what's wrong with it. When I focus on what's good today, I have a good day. When I focus on what's bad, I have a bad day. If I focus on a problem, the problem increases. I try to communicate what and how I feel rather than what I think. When we deal with feelings, we tend to come to know ourselves and each other better. The higher my expectations are, the lower my serenity is. I have to discard my rights as well as my expectations by asking myself, how important is it really? How important is it compared to my serenity, my emotional sobriety? I love that phrase, my emotional sobriety. When I place more value in my serenity and sobriety than on anything else, acceptance is the key to my relationship with God today. I never just sit and do nothing while waiting for Him uh, to tell me what to do. Rather, I do whatever is in front of me to be done, and I leave the results up to Him. However it turns out, that's God's will for me. I must keep my magic, magnifying mind on my acceptance and off expectations, for my serenity is proportional to my level of acceptance. Thank you, God, for showing me AA and holding my hand through my troubles in life. In my new life with you I'm a recovering alcoholic, and this is my story. See, this is a story that I could never share. I, I could never tell you that story, because that's not my story. And yet that is an individual in this church, the, his story, his story of God entering into his life and, and restoring him back to relationship and, and transforming his life day by day, moment by moment. And I think some of you have a similar story as well. Maybe your story is like this next story we're going to hear. Uh, Husband and wife that uh, just saw an incredible need in the world and uh, used some unique talents uh, to meet that need. Watch this video.
1: My name is Dan Haney. Uh, I'm 48 years old. I've been married to uh, Diana for 28 years. I have a 26-year-old son, Anthony, who's a research engineer um, out of North Carolina, and a 25-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, uh, who works here in town uh, for Caterpillar. And she just delivered our first grandchild, Nora, Uh, who's like the latest, greatest joy in our life. What I do for a living, I'm a counselor. I work with uh, severely mentally ill, uh, severely addicted women in our residential treatment facility. Um, they come to us for anywhere up to a year, um, and we try to get them um, really back out of the, the lifestyle they're in uh, into something more survivable. My wife and I have a ministry called Worship Films that we started in, I believe, 2004. I was actually the answer to months of praying after I gave my life to Christ. Um, A lot of changes needed to be made and I spent literally months uh, praying and asking God to let me bring something forward from my past uh, that I could bring forward with me uh, that would serve him uh, in the kingdom. I was a fairly lost individual at that point and um, God allowed me to bring my photography and my video work which I had done professionally beforehand um, into play weird sets of circumstances, I always say father-son, holy coincidence, but uh, things just kept happening and God kept putting people into our lives uh, that needed work done. So we decided that there was a need out there in the Christian world uh, to develop uh, media catalogs, full media presentations of uh, print and uh, digital media for folks who had uh, Christian missions of their own, the Christian works, Christian organizations, didn't have a budget uh, for that kind of work. So Diane and I decided to create uh, worship films, do um, media work for people all over the world. Africa. We've been in Haiti, Central America now. So we go in country. We film people's missions work. Um, create media catalogs for them, for them to use for fundraising and education. People tell us, uh, you know, wow, it's great you're going and doing these films. You're giving all this stuff away, and it's like, no, no, you don't get it. Yeah, you know, we make some movies and we do some media work for people, but no, you know, God's speaking to us through these people. I've learned more about what it means to love Jesus and to truly be Christian through strangers I've met uh, in strange places and strange countries than I've ever lived in a place else. First off, it's that um, I don't own anything um, anymore. And I can really say that now. Um, I don't own anything at all. Everything I've got is God's, and I've learned that firsthand in these in de- developing countries and people that have nothing, literally nothing, have fed me. They've uh, brought me into their homes and fed me. Um, and I guess if you're not there, it's hard to imagine people who have, whose kids are uh, dying of starvation have brought Diane and I into their homes and fed us. Um, that's humbling and it's heartbreaking. I think another lesson is, for me, is patience right now. I have an ongoing kind of A really intense struggle with the church in the West, um, with kind of Christianity in the West, is that I've seen Christianity at work uh, in the developing world. Um, I've seen and known people who have literally uh, been martyred for their work. I've seen people walk away from lifestyles of ease and uh, go into sub-Saharan Africa and work. I've seen men and women open medical clinics in a jungle in Haiti where giant business owners um, and I think Diana and I are trying to, to meld our lives that way. And I think that's why God keeps taking us on these missions, is it keeps breaking us down into realizing how much of an illusion really what we've got here is, um, in, the, in the sense of that we all own so much. And it's difficult for me that, I guess, is that the, the church as a whole, that the church, the Christian church worldwide, is uninvolved and uh, as there's a level of apathy in addressing how our brothers and sisters in Christ are struggling and suffering in this world that most people two-thirds of the world are living on less than a dollar a day it's two-thirds so it's really not the third world it's the two-thirds world Um, and the the Christian church in the West is largely doing nothing and we give and I've seen Christian organizations do a lot of things but they're here and they're gone and nothing is changing because of um, I don't know. I think we forget the contract uh, that becoming a Christian uh, kind of involves. You know, it's like you give your life to Christ. There's a contract there. You're saying, "Yeah, I accept Christ into my life," and there's a cost to that. There's a real cost. It means I'm going to give back into that relationship. I'm going. My life necessarily has to change now, and I'm the least important person in that relationship. Christ is the most important, and. Christ is not going to ask me, uh, when I meet him face to face, um, how my days off and vacations were. I know this. I I really believe this. He's not going to ask me, was I comfortable in my new car? Christ is going to ask me, did I see something that needed to be taken care of and did I do it or did I not? You know, Sean says something that... guy that I worked with in Guatemala that really uh, changed my thinking. He said, to to know that you could do something about all of this and not, how do you live with
0: it? Did you hear the tension still there? One of the things that I I don't like is sitcom stories, where everything you know gets neatly wrapped up and it's all concluded in 30 minutes or less. I, I love the fact that he's, he's still sitting in that tension. And every time I sit down with Dan, we, we meet uh, fairly regularly um, in, in men's fraternity, but then also he and I get together occasionally, and every time I sit down with him, I, I'm inspired, I'm challenged, I'm convicted. I go home in, in my car, to my big house compared to two-thirds of the world. And here's a guy that is just like you. But he saw a need. And he was transformed by that need. And he had an incredible response as well. And some of you, God's put out on your heart. And you need to be obedient and follow through on that. Maybe that's not your story. Maybe your story is like Marcus and Courtney. Would you guys welcome them to the stage? They were the brave ones to go live. So, No, d- others were willing to go live as well, but we wanted to share in kind of three different formats uh, this morning, and so I asked them uh, specifically to come up and uh, share this morning their God story. So um, why don't we start? Tell us a little bit about yourselves.
2: I'm Courtney, and this is my husband, Marcus. Um, we've been married just over five years. Um, we have two beautiful baby boys that think, are Yeah, we got boys. pictures. Uh, Max is on the top. He's three, and then Ben is below him. And He's just about four months old. Um, okay. We live in Washington. We've okay. been in Washington for, gosh, Off close to three years. Yeah. Okay. Great community. We love it.
0: All right. Uh, when you guys we we, we met um, last week, I went over to their house. They fed me dinner, um, and uh, which is always good. If you want, you know, if you want me to hear your God story, just feed me. Um, I'll come over and listen. Uh, but we talked, and one of the things you guys talked about when, uh, when you guys were going through premarital counseling, I mean, we, we went back to even that. Um, the pastor had you complete this uh, emotional need survey, and it kind of hits on, on several different uh, needs that each individual has in the relationship. And there was one emotional need, um, as we talked, that really stood out for both of you during that discussion. Um, can you share what it was, and, and how did that affect you as you guys began your marriage?
3: Um, the financial need, um, financial uh, security need. Is was right at the top for both of us. Um, it has always been one of the things for me that just gives me security. Make sure that I know everything's taken care of, everyone's taken care of, and just gives me an inner peace. And it was interesting when you know you date and everything. You know you you know everything about the other one, and uh, found that that was a, a common
0: thing between the
3: two of us, and it was actually very uh, calming for me. I knew that wasn't going to be a source of tension okay. among us.
0: And, and that led to creation of a, a plan.
3: Yeah. Um, shortly after we were married, um, we uh, lived farther south and started out our careers, and we had our small little budget and decided now was the time that we'd take the stance, created the budget, um, started to... Figure out how do we write the ship as you go through life, you know things pile up, and there comes a point where hopefully you can say, "This is the point. How do we write the ship? So we sat down and created a budget, and what we felt we could do to at least curb all the expenses, live within our means, and then, as we could, start to pay off debt. And we did, and we started that. It was tough, still tough. Um, a lot of nice shiny
0: new things out there that catch your eye and you really want. And um, you guys joked about doing Dave Ramsey before you knew who Dave Ramsey was. Oh,
2: so well, yeah, and it was so funny when um, the church decided to do the Dave Ramsey series. I mean, everybody in our small group—they were so pumped. They're like, "Oh, this is going to be great. This is going to help us get on track." And so we're kind of asking questions like, "Well, what? You know, what's the basis?" And We're like, "That's it. We've been doing that for like, <laughs> you know four or five years now. I, if he can make some money doing this, we got to write a book." What <laughs> That can help, but yeah. And, so...
0: And you guys were were down south, I like think Decatur, mm-hmm. right? And then you guys ended up with some job transfers up mm-hmm. back up to Peoria. I mean, what do you what do you guys do?
2: Um, I work for a staffing company that supplies talent to Cap. Okay. So engineers, IT.
0: Okay. Yeah. All right.
3: And I work for my family company. I'm a business manager. I ran the business side and the operational side for it.
0: Okay. So you guys, you guys are working this plan. You've, you know, you're kind of the stereotypical American family, white picket fence, two point three kids, you know, uh, great jobs, pursuing that path. You're, you're on the way to being debt free, mm-hmm. and then something happens.
3: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, what was that?
0: The lovely economy,
3: um, as everyone is aware of, it uh, slowly started to, um, you know, to infiltrate everybody's lives and. In my business, um, which is construction which is in the construction, we uh, started to see slowdown, so we cut back expenses, um, you know advertising all the things you need to, so you don 't affect anybody. then a couple of jobs that we were supposed to have, larger jobs, they held back, which cut our budget even more, so we had to uh, let a couple of People go, which was very hard because they're people that have been with us for a long time.
0: Um, how many employees in the company? I mean, how, how big are we um, talking?
3: Right now, there is I think eleven, and there okay. were. Okay, so I mean, we're not talking 17. a large corporation. I mean, it's no, kind of a, no. pretty much a family business. Pretty much a small family. Yeah, business.
0: even even the people that aren't relatives are still family. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
3: And um, we were doing good, and then the economy just kept going and going and um, after much deliberation, we—I uh, chose to take a voluntary leave. Um, we went over our budget and thought, "Okay, we can do this. We can, we can. You know, I—I—I I, I couldn't cut any more people. Each person that was there needed their job. You know, I need my job, but we could do it. Hopefully, just a couple months, a few months.
0: Um, yeah, you really expected this thing to turn around quick. Um, Enough Whether it be to another wear, job or yeah, back enough, to the company.
3: Yeah, either another position somewhere else or yeah. back in the company. And it, uh, yeah, it just didn't happen.
0: Yeah,
2: <laughs> Still hasn't happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Remember what I said about sitcom stories? You know, I, 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 the fact this story isn't completed yet, it's not resolved. Um, yeah, I, I love that fact because they're still wrestling with God. They're still learning things about their relationship with God. Um, Before we get into that, what are some things you learned? There were some phrases that you guys um, talked about, Marcus particularly. Um, You used the phrase, you were exhausted with hope. Mm -hmm. Talk about that.
3: Um, You know, you assume that, you know God's there. and, And throughout all this, I know he has a plan. I know... Hopefully not much longer, but <laughs> we'll have some time back. And I'll go, oh, okay, that makes sense. And um, you wake up every day. You look for jobs. You talk on the phone. You still keep in contact with the business because I'm still a part of it. And you're just, it's around the corner. You know it's coming. You know it's coming. And
0: but then it Every come. day it's
3: just the same old story. And, yeah. you know, you, after a while you wake up and go, oh. You know, you just get tired of hoping that it's going to be around the corner. You just get exhausted.
0: And you see your prayer life changed.
3: It has. Um, Always prayed. But now I think it's more of a conversation, so to speak. I mean, it's not as formal as I used to have. It was screaming, yelling, (laughs) crying, talking, asking, pleading. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's become more deep, more real. Yeah. Than what it was.
0: Yeah what are what are some of the lessons that you feel God has been teaching you during this is what 6 months now 7 months 6 months um, what what are some of those things as we as we talked Monday night you're still processing through this you know what that that question is still kind of out there but have there been any discoveries any lessons
2: well i think we both we both very much believe that things happen for a reason so for some reason god's having us go through this um, the question that we keep asking ourselves and God is, what What am I supposed to learn? Have I not learned it yet? And then we kind of joked about, okay, God, if you could just hit me with the two-by-four right in the head so I just get it this time, that would be awesome.
0: It'd be nice to have this done with. Yeah,
2: just very clear cut. Here you go, here's your lesson. Right. Um, but it doesn't work that way. So yeah. part of, I think, what I know I've been praying for is just clarity, patience, um, just vision to see what it is that he needs us to see, um, wisdom, yeah. understanding. Um, and then I think we had, a, we had a big aha moment with Chris on Monday, which was just awesome. Your timing to come to dinner was perfect. Um, we both had this need for financial security. Uh, part of it was my upbringing, just lack of funds, right? And yeah. part of it was Marcus's parents were big savers, and that's, that's what you did. You, you, you banked it away. You, you took care of what you need to take care of. Um, Chris brought forth a passage in Malachi that talked about robbing God. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's kind of ironic that money says in God we trust. I think our trust was more money.
0: Yeah. If
2: you have more money in the bank, you're secure, right? You can pay the bills. We lived
3: by our plan. It, it was I- our plan, our financial plan. And um, we always made sure our bills were paid, always made sure everything was covered, put some in savings, pay all the bills, you know, get that debt down. But
1: we if been- we didn't
3: have a little extra, guess who got shortchanged? Yeah. It was God. You know, yeah. the tithing would, would slow down and, or stop, Yeah, and it was, I think, an aha moment for us that we were trusting more in our plan and the money than we were in, because, you know, it was like, I know I can do this with the money, yeah. but I can't, you know, I have I, to have I faith think,
0: that... I think Courtney described it as a sucker punch to the gut. Really <laughs> I'm like, here, you want to read a scripture? She's like, wow, that's a sucker punch to the gut.
2: like, wow, that one, there's my two by four, right? I mean, it was The just things amazing. you
0: always know. Yeah.
3: But then it's like, oh, yeah. And, and, oh. and you
0: talked about perspective, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, we we talked about Dax uh, some and how the whole situation with Dax. I mean, I'm sure many of you are aware of, of that young boy and how that's lent perspective to your life and, and the financial needs and everything. I mean,
3: yeah. every time we think that how are we going to do it, how are we going to get through it, you know you know, we can still pay all our bills. You know, we're just not as secure as we once were. There's more faith that needs to happen. I think part of that is, is God saying, I think part of what we have to learn is God saying, trust me, not the money. Yeah. You mm-hmm. know, you, The money will come, but if you're only going to have security and money and it goes away, <laughs> your life's going to fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. And every time we think we have it rough, we get an update on his situation and We look at those two little boys and realize that we're not so bad. Life
2: is good. Yeah. You know, and it's kind of funny. Max, our three-year-old, he always says, come on, Mom, come to my, you want to come to my deepest dark place? (laughs) And he has this sword that he won at a carnival that lights up, and he takes that in, and he's like, you know, thinks he's so cool. And um, it's kind of funny. It's like God has taken us to our deepest dark place.
0: Yeah.
2: And really pushing us and challenging us to say, okay, what's important? Yeah. What matters?
0: So What's your next step?
2: Keep praying. <laughs> keep praying. Keep praying. We're not exactly trusting. sure. I think
3: yeah. part of what it was, was um, going back to more faith. And we had faith. We both know something's coming out of this. Yeah. I think part of what it was that we thought we were just trying to get debt free to become more secure. I think we walked through part of this to get us to this point so we could. Yeah. You know, yeah. It, had we not spent six years of our lives broke, trying to pay everything off, we could have never gone through this. It, we yeah. would have been like so many other families, and and we struggle, but we can get through it. Uh,
0: there's families out here in the audience right now that are in the same situation you are. What would you say to them?
2: Keep smiling. Life is good.
3: There's a reason. There don't a know reason. what, but there's a reason. All right. We're ready to find out. <laughs> we are ready to find out.
0: That's for sure. If anybody's got a two-by-four, they're ready, so... <laughs> Thank you guys very much for your transparency, for, uh, for your willingness to share this story. I know it's an incredibly personal uh, story, and uh, you guys hadn't a week to process it from when I met with you, but uh, thank you guys very much. Give them a round of applause, guys. Thanks. 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 So, what's your God story? The band's gonna come up, we're gonna sing one more song. These cards are in your hands. Let us hear your stories. We want to share your stories. We want to hear what God is doing in your life because he is doing things in your life. And would you be willing to share that with us? Turn these in at the Welcome Center today, next Sunday. Uh, Pick them up anytime that God is doing something in your life. And who knows, maybe one day we'll share your story from the stage as well. Thanks.
3: Thank you for listening to Great Oaks Community Church's weekly podcast. For more series and podcast information, go to greatoakscc.org.